Eisenberg on WHMP. They wallow in corruption, crime and gore. Ding-a-ling-a-ling, -ling, city desk. Pull the press, pull the press. Extra, extra, read all about it. downtown and under a large photograph it says a tale of two main streets similar size Concord New Hampshire faced same objections to makeover as those heard in Northampton a very long article in-depth reporting and I'd appreciate your telling us how you came to the story how it was investigated and why it was presented in the way it was. So talk to us about it, because it's really important and I think uh, made a number of really interesting points. Well, um, deep in that story, uh, first of all, this was a piece by Alex McDougall, a Northampton Beat reporter. Yeah, and congratulations uh, to yeah. the reporter. And, well, uh, A well-done story. He worked very closely with Chad Kane, our managing editor, and Carol Lawless was a photographer that went up to Concord with Alex, um, Concord, New Hampshire. Um, deep in that story, there's a, um, it, you know, it notes that there's a wider national trend in how cities are thinking about their downtown spaces, and Northampton has cited Concord, Concord, New Hampshire as a as a place that's that's done a Main Street redesign uh, as something they've looked to um, for their experience. So um, we thought it would be a good idea to get out of the city and and go look at one of these places. Concord's only a couple hours away. Um, and they're done with that process and have gone through it uh, in a similar way that Northampton's on the brink of right now and wanted to talk to them about their experience with it. And Alex spent two days up there um, talking with city, city planners, uh, city officials, but more importantly, businesses and, um, and down along Main Street uh, about how their redesign uh, went and, and how it affected them going through that process. Two aspects of the story really struck me. One was the photograph of downtown Concord looks a lot, the before photograph of downtown Concord looks a lot like the, the photographs of downtown Northampton today. So there seemed to be a lot of similarities. Another aspect of the story that struck me was a lot of objections to the proposal when it was first made and then I guess, third observation, some years later, after this has all been constructed and redesigned, people are really happy with it. So I'm not sure if that's, uh, there are take-home lessons there, but I'd appreciate your impressions. Dan Crowley? Yeah, when we went up there, when Alex went up there, we had no idea what we'd get. I mean, we didn't go up with any preconceived notions or anything, and, and um there were, as, uh, if you read the story, uh, a number of people, including a, maybe a former city councilor uh, who was really dead set against the redesign, who, who came around in the end. Um, 
Alex had difficulty finding people who were critical of the project once it was over. Um, and uh, he did knock on a lot of doors. Uh, there's a lot of voices in that story. Um, <clears throat> and certainly if, if we found them, they'd be in there. They may still be there. You know, you, you can't talk to everybody in Concord in 48 hours. But um, I, I think um, there are similarities, as you said, but there are also some differences. We tried to highlight those in, in the story. Um, they had a lot of angled parking, and I think they kept a lot of that intact because it was so st- steeped into the downtown. And, and they were steeped their hills. Steep? No, no, steeped. Like it was, you know, it, it's been there for so long. Oh, I see. Steeped in the that fabric. I think of the, they yeah. kind of, that was one of the things they left a bit more intact. The other is they incorporated their bike routes into the street path. <clears throat> so there are signs on the street of Main Street downtown there where um, they're, you know, they're clearly marked. This is also for bicycles. Um, so the Concord plan does not have separate bike lanes? Yeah, that's my understanding. Down, right down in Main in, Street. In, so. in the Main Street part. <laughs> yeah, of it, right. so it's much more, it's much like uh, uh, European style. Um, you know, I, I lived in, in Sweden for a few years, and I, I, it took me a couple of years to get used to it. I can ride my bike in the middle of the street with the cars and go around the rotary and use my hand signals and all that. So. And it all kind of worked. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that, that, that is a real question, and I would like to focus for a moment, if we might, on the question of the bike lanes, because it's the one question that keeps coming up. And when we had John DeBartolo on the show a few weeks ago, I asked him, if the bike lanes weren't there, would you support this project? And he said yes. And so I guess what the real opposition to the downtown redesign in Northampton now is really does focus on the bike lanes. And we were talking just before we came on the air about a difference between Concord and Northampton with regard to the layout and how those bike lanes might uh, be, be, might be different here. Uh, so why don't you uh, tell our listeners about that, if you would, please, Dan Crowley. Well, I, I just think people have different um, perspectives on the, bi- on the bike lane part. That's a, that's a sticking point for a lot of people um, for, for whatever reasons. Um, People don't like the experience of driving around, whether it's Main Street or if it's State Street or if it's, um, you know, Elm Street. Um, they, I, I'm guessing some people don't feel comfortable with the bike lanes. Um, I, I, I think And some, some people object because the bike lanes will intersect with, with the pedestrian crossings and there aren't traffic lights and they'll be more dangerous and the cars, right. other points of intersection. Right. I think... One of the things I, if, uh, the story is about a week ago now. I've, I've gone through about 200 news stories since then. But if I recall, <laughs> I think Concord has a bit more of a, perhaps a grid-like um, layout of its streets. And you can get around, um, uh, circumnavigate the main street if you don't want to be going down there 20 miles an hour. Um, and Northampton is, is a bit more... Um, uh, cur- has a bit more curvature to its streets and, and um, coming in at different directions. Uh, so, you know, the layouts aren't exactly the same, um, but I think there was enough similarities in the experience for hopefully for people to glean something about what happened up there. And that's why you put it on the front page? Yeah. With, and with significant, significant coverage and a lot of space given to it. Yeah, it's a, it's a big uh, city issue here in Northampton. And you thought this experience in Concord was significant enough to give it that treatment in our paper? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Buzz? That, that was my question, Executive Editor Dan Crowley. Is it 
you? Is it the editorial staff that comes up with, hey, let's send somebody to Concord and check it out because this is a big story around here and they had a similar experience? Or is it a reporter who says, can I go up to Concord? It seems like there's a story lurking up there. It, it could be either. It could be either. Uh, in this case, uh, Alex and Chad Kane, the editor, out the reporter and editor, worked together and, and, and thought it'd be a good idea to go up there. And Alex has been covering this story uh, in Northampton, and, and uh, um, they thought it'd be a good idea, and I talked with them about it, and, and that's how that happened. Yeah, it's an in-house decision. It's um, we, we get story ideas in a, in a whole bunch of different ways, and, and if they're good ones, we'll pursue them. I was interested in... Something you said just before we went on the air, I asked you, Dan Crowley, whether or not there had been a lot of reader reaction to this. And I would have expected, actually, would have been wrong, of course, but I expected there would, would have been because this has been such a controversial issue and so much space has been allocated, I think, appropriately to this issue on the, uh, in the letters to the editors section and in uh, columns and so on. And you said to me, to us, not really. Not a lot of uh, feedback on this story, and I'm wondering what you make of that. Well, it's been four days since last weekend, and (laughs) feels like an eternity. (laughs) A lot has happened. There could be there could be pens at work. There could be uh, keyboards going right now, and 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 arguments being made, and and perspectives being uh, formed. You realize what you just did, Dan. <laughs> you just triggered exactly that. Um, but we're always surprised uh, by what what generates uh, a lot of uh, reader feedback and what doesn't. Sometimes you think, wow, we're going to hear from a lot of people on this, and then it's silence. And other times it's something seemingly not so important, and it, 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 there's this, uh, uh, you know, the floodgates are open on it. So, I would be interested to know... A- more you want to say about this on Buzz? We are very good. I think it's been great coverage, and uh, it's really informative. I've learned a lot more. I actually flipped my opinion about it as a result of the coverage. So I thought it was interesting they had a they had a mascot up there. I don't know if you remember seeing that. Concord has a mascot. They had a mascot during the during the redesign, um, walking around, kind of bringing some good cheer during a very turbulent time when the t- downtown was turned upside down. So, Yeah, uh, one of the interesting parts of this is that the downtown did not suffer through the construction, which, of course, has been a point of contention here. What did you make of that? Well, I, well wait a minute. I what do, was the mascot? I, uh, I'd have to go back oh, and look okay. at it. Right. But uh, I do think, no, I think it came out that some businesses took, some businesses took a hit and, and they felt, you know, that, that they had, there was an impact there. I think we have at least a few people saying that in that story. Um, but um, eventually, at the end of the day, um, from the ones that Alex interviewed, he said they got through it and th- they ended up being happy with the project. So and the it'd po- be interesting to find a downtown that maybe wasn't so... Wasn't so successful? Yeah. Well, of course, the, the, the models that are being pointed to are redesigns that have been successful. Uh, I'm not sure that... we. That's a great question. Is there one where something like this has been tried and it is, at the end of the day, pronounced unsuccessful? I, I, well, let me, let me just say, as a non-Northampton resident, uh, if you were going to make that comparison or the con- contrast, it would have to be a community that put in as much thoughtful energy in this, in this redesign as Northampton did. One of the things that just strikes me over and over again is how many people had input into this and over a long period of time. And... Um, 
so if, if, if some other community put in that much thought and it turned out to be unsuccessful, I think that's a fair comparison. Yeah, except that the opponents, or some opponents anyway, say, well, we really didn't have a chance. It happened during COVID. People didn't get a chance to participate. My voice wasn't heard, and it's only been recently that we focused on this, and therefore it really hasn't been community input. And uh, and some have even accused Boston of imposing its will here. That's just inaccurate. But a lot of those uh, comments and criticisms have been made, so not everyone agrees that there has been that kind of community-wide input and uh, participation that you allude to, Buzz. So I, I think there was a lot. Uh, there was a vote, online vote that was possible. A lot happened, but obviously people who are unhappy with the design are also critical of the process. Uh, not surprisingly. Mm -hmm. You're going to yeah. give more coverage to this, Dan Crowley, on the front page of the yeah, Daily Hampshire I think Gazette? As there are developments, as um, as it warrants, we will. Yeah, it's a, it's a story that's it's going to be here for a while. Well, Yes and no. The story will change because not too far in the not too distant future, there are going to be large machines <laughs> digging up downtown. And then the story will very much change. So how much time do you think that there is if there's going to be some amendment to the plan here? How much time is there to do that? Some sense of that? I, I, I don't have a sense of the timeline. I don't. Okay. No. We are speaking with Dan Crowley, who is the executive editor of the Daily Hampshire Gazette and three other newspapers of Newspapers of New England. We want to turn to today's front page. Healy unveils historic housing plan. McGovern joins call for ceasefire in the Mideast. We'll be right back. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. You could be one word away from $1,000. It's a grand in the hand on WHMP. Listen each weekday for the $1,000 keyword at around 8.15, 12.15, and 4.15. When you hear the keyword, just go to whmp.com and enter it for a shot at $1,000. You have until midnight to enter the keyword of the day. It's a grand in the hand on WHMP. Complete rules and details on whmp.com. What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member, Bill Newman. Rutabagas, sweet potatoes, turnips, and leeks. Local produce is rooting its way to the co-op every day. At the co-op meat counter, try coffee-rubbed hanger steak, a delicious mix of sweet and bold heat. New recipe and you need just a pinch of this herb or that spice? Get just the right amount in the co-op's bulk department. River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome. Every time you open your energy bill, you cringe. And with good reason, because you're paying too much. The easy answer is solar. And taking advantage of solar energy with Franklin First Federal Credit Union is easy. Our solar loan puts solar on the table. And a local expert can show you all the ways it pays to install solar. Visit franklinfirst.org slash solarloans for more details. That's franklinfirst.org slash solarloans. Franklin First Federal Credit Union, federally insured by NCUA. Hello, this is Patrick Kaling, Sheriff of Hampshire County. This year, my office received the prestigious Fatherhood Award from the Children's Trust, a state child abuse prevention agency, for our work with the Nurturing Fathers Program. We are proud of our partnership with the Children's Trust and firmly believe that strong, safe families help build strong, safe communities. If you're interested in joining our award-winning team, visit our website, HampshireSheriffs.com, submit an application online, or call and ask for our HR department. 
You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. We continue our conversation with Dan Crowley, who is the executive editor of the Daily Hampshire Gazette, the Greenfield Recorder, as well as two other newspapers of newspapers of New England. Want to turn to today's front page of the Daily Hampshire Gazette. Healy unveils historic housing plan. McGovern joins call for ceasefire in Mideast. And although under the fold, a large headline, appropriately so, with the uh, – what do you call these things on the top, Dan? The kicker. The kicker. Yeah. The kicker being Amherst Pelham Regional Super to share some info from Title IX report. I'd like to start there. The Title IX report is something that we have called for on the show to be released as to the extent that is legally possible. And it seems that Amherst is moving in that direction to release at least as much of the report or information of the report as legally can be done in light of the state law of personnel privacy. That said, the report itself is, in fact, implicated by the uh, personnel privacy laws in Massachusetts. But there's nothing that says that people who are part of the story can't talk to newspaper reporters. So I'm wondering if you would care to share or not uh, what the Gazette may or may not be doing how am I doing so far on uh, uh, yeah. uh, following this, uh, following up this story? Well, like I said, I think last week, was it? Um, we're following this story, and, and Amherst beat reporter Scott Merzbach is on it. He, he had the story today. Um, this, from what I gathered here, the interim superintendent's going to be uh, making public some kind of uh, draft report based on the Title IX investigation um, we don't know how much information is going to be in it that's, that's helpful to understand the finer details of what went on that, that, that prompted the Title IX investigation in the Amherst schools, um, again, which was, um, I think, <coughs> began in April of the, earlier this year. Um, and has resulted, we should point out, in at least one uh, – discrimination complaint being filed against the school system, against parents claiming that LGBTQ students were badly treated, bullied, and, and uh, inappropriately responded to by uh, personnel in the school. Uh, this is a story that has many facets, including uh, the protests made to sc- about school committee members who felt that they were being bullied by the way in which the protests were conducted. I mean, it's an amazingly long Five complex. school committee members resigning. Big deal. Yeah. Um, yeah, we have the Amherst uh, assistant superintendent who's put on leave, um, and uh, three counselors have been put on leave. Um, but I think um, th- there's concerns about liability, which are stated in this uh story about releasing the full report and to go back to your uh, point about um, exemptions and, and privacy concerns it, it, you know it's not up to a records holder to make the determination of whether something is um, is uh, <coughs> exempt from public disclosure or not there's a state supervisor of public records that can help determine that um, another scenario the courts can help determine that um, but um, oh, and now you can see it now a big ad in front of the courthouse we're here to help <laughs> I got it but actually there there is that in front of the courthouse but uh, Dan is what is the job of of the media is is it to always press for more release of information 
and just leave it to the other side to worry this, about the law? I think in this case it is. Uh, there's, there's still a lot of people that want more information and more answers. And so one of our roles is to help, help them get that. Can you, I guess I'm asking, it's a resource allocation question in some ways, but can you assign reporter a reporter or reporters to say, go talk to everyone who we know was involved and see if they'll tell us something so that you can report it regardless of whether it's in the Title IX report, regardless of whether it's in whatever summary the superintendent might put out? Um, certainly, yeah. I think um, that's already that's actually been done in some ways already by n- a number of publications. The Graphic newspaper, um, I think Scott's had some of that talking with people. We've had uh, s- some of the people involved have come out publicly at meetings and discuss what's gone on. Um, so, um, yeah, to answer your question, yeah, this, we, we try to get information in as many ways as we can, and and sometimes you know. Most of the time you can use that. Sometimes you have to be careful about whether that information is, is something you can use or not. Depending Tell us about the story. McGovern calls for ceasefire in Mideast, middle of the page. It is a big deal. He is our Congress congressional yeah. representative. Um, how much coverage are you going to give to this story, the Hamas-Israeli war? Uh, we've been giving as much as we as <clears throat> as we can. Uh, there's a there's a lot of readers, a lot of our people in this area who are um, have personal connections <coughs> to family and friends in that part of the world. Um, there's a lot of people who are distraught and horrified about what's going on there. Uh, we're we're getting a lot of, of you talked about the um, not getting so much feedback on the downtown redesign uh, story we did, but but what's happening in Israel and Gaza, we're getting all kinds of letters and columns, um, and people have a lot to say about it in this area. So as long as um, we have that kind of interest here from people in Hampshire County, Franklin County, um, we're, we're going to give it as much um, attention as we can. It's, a, it's, a, it's, one of the, it's the biggest story in the world. It's the biggest story in the world, and that, that's what I wanted to ask you, Dan Crowley, is so in this case, we have this enormous, historic, horrific international story. We also have Congress can't function, doesn't have a speaker. Huge national story. It's historic. We don't have somebody to run one of our two chambers and the one that sets the budget. And at the same time, you've got to cover this local stuff. How does the Gazette, the Ethel Daily News, the Recorder, how do you navigate those competing interests in international, national, local, who makes a decision? How does it get made? Well, we, we make it in the newsroom, and I, and I think um, we look at how big of a development is there now in the House Speaker situation, and if it's some kind of uh, daily process where they haven't named somebody, and, and that may not make the cut um, over you know a hospital being bombed or hundreds of people have been killed. I mean, that, that's... Uh, so those those decisions are, are weighed. I mean, we we can put as much as we want online because it's it's limitless uh, on our website. Um, but the print newspaper, of course, is limited to to the number of pages that we have, and and uh, so we have conversations every single day about what's what needs to be out there in the front, what needs to be inside the paper on a wire page, um, and uh, we're constantly weighing the the the, the, the news value and. and and kind of have to forecast, you know, we think this story is going to be, there's going to be much more interest in, in reading this story than that one. And 
I, while I have this opportunity, Dan Crowley, I haven't seen you since um, we uh, both collaborated um, on the mayoral debate up in Greenfield. Yeah. Next week, you have the candidates' night to deal with the council school right, committee members. Right, October twenty fourth on Tuesday at Greenfield Community College for Greenfield residents that want to learn about the city council's candidates, school committee, and, and there's an assessor's race. And I just really want to congratulate you, congratulate the recorder, um, because it's an invaluable service that you uh, give to uh, voters by um, sponsoring and helping to organize uh, these candidate forums where people can learn more about the people who want Thanks. to be entrusted with their votes. Yeah. So I really want to thank right. you. Well, you also had a big role in helping organize that debate as well. well so. <laughs> one of the best parts is working yeah. with you, Dan Crowley. Yeah, I, I'd like to say, too, that on November 1st uh, at JFK Middle School, there's going to be another candidates forum in Northampton for the contested races on city council and school committee that we're collaborating. The league is, is organizing and we're... League of Women Voters. League of Women Voters that we're collaborating with to, to um, bring to the public. Dan Crowley... You just mentioned the availability of space online. One of the things I have noticed in the Gazette on a regular basis is the ads for in the Gazette about the Gazette's online presence and the e-edition. And I'm wondering if you could give us some perspective on where the readership is. How many of us are there left that actually say, good, the physical newspaper is here today, as opposed to those who actually access GazetteNet. Well, over the last several years, our online readership has, has grown, and our online subscriptions have grown. They've trended up. Um, so that's, a, that's an exciting development. And I think uh, in the near future, one of the things we're looking at doing is enhancing our website and, and, and improving it on, the, on what, it, what it is now. Can you give us some sense of how many readers read the physical paper versus, I mean, some of us do both, but what's the proportion of readership uh, online versus the physical newspaper? Well, we, we actually just did a survey. People, our subscribers probably saw that, and I think many have responded, and I'd like to thank everybody who did that. The, the reason we put the survey out is to learn more from our readers, what they'd like <laughs> to see, what we're doing well, what they think we might not be doing well or not doing enough of. Um, but there's thousands, thousands and thousands of people that read the print paper still. And um, Oh, good. I feel less like a dinosaur <laughs> than I did a few minutes ago. Thank you. And, and um, there's thousands that are reading online. And then interestingly, through the surveys we just did, there are people that read both. They read, they read the newspaper and they, read, they go to our website so, and read the e-edition. Okay, before we leave Dan Crowley, what was the mascot in Concord, New Hampshire? Okay, there was a mascot. They hired a public relations firm up there to, to uh, work with businesses and help support them during the project. And it was the mascot's name was Digger, and it was a tiger in a safety vest. Digger. Yeah. I've got a proposal, Bill Newman. My proposal is a ninja turtle on a bicycle with a safety vest. How do we do? I think there's going to be a lot of dispute about the safety vest. <laughs> <laughs> what about the mask? Newspapermen meet such interesting people. They wallow in corruption, crime, and gore. We have been speaking with Dan Crowley, who is the executive editor of the Daily Hampshire Gazette, three other newspapers, including the Greenfield Recorder of Newspapers of New England. Dan Crowley, thanks so much for being with us. We really appreciate your time and insights. Indeed, yeah, thanks. Do. I enjoyed it. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. 
For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. A Northampton Superior Court judge will announce today the amount of time Kara Rintala will be sentenced to prison for the murder of her wife. On October 5th, the jury found Rintala guilty of voluntary manslaughter in connection with the death of her wife, Anna Marie Cochran Rintala. Rintala's bail was revoked and she was escorted out of the courtroom in handcuffs. Voluntary manslaughter carries a maximum sentence of 20 years in prison. In addition, Rintala has already served more than seven years in confinement. An Amherst man was arrested yesterday for allegedly distributing and possessing child pornography. 25-year-old Bradley Driscoll of Amherst was indicted by a federal grand jury in Springfield on one count of distribution of child pornography and one count of possession of child pornography. In August 2022, Driscoll allegedly possessed videos of sexual abuse of a minor under the age of 12 and knowingly distributed them. If found guilty, he faces up to 20 years in prison for each charge. Two hikers discovered a body on Tully Mountain in Orange Wednesday morning. Orange police and fire departments responded to the report with Massachusetts State Police. While the identity of the person found has not been released yet, there is no foul play currently suspected. And interim superintendent of Amherst Schools, Douglas Slaughter, says he will release a draft report based on the contents of a Title IX investigation into alleged bullying and harassment of LGBTQ teens at the middle school while keeping personnel records confidential. Slaughter tells the Gazette on the advice of legal counsel, specific details won't come out publicly due to liability. Partly to mostly sunny today, the high of 62 to 66, mostly cloudy tonight, overnight low of 44 to 50, showers and rain developing here for tomorrow, the high of 60 to 64, Saturday looks damp too. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 1015 WHMP. Find local news and local talk for the Valley. Which says we need to appeal to the wealthy white people of our region because the marginalized people do not have money. Which is true, but as we know, that's what happens when you have centuries of policies that are oppressive, that are racist. Where the heart of the Pioneer Valley lives. 1015 and 1400 WHMP. News, information, and the arts. Reading is one of life's great pleasures. Having a community bookstore makes it even better. Broadside Bookshop is a community-minded, woman-owned, independent bookstore in downtown Northampton, where you can browse to your heart's content. For book lovers, Broadside is home away from home. You can order virtually any book on the Broadside website and pick it up at the store or have it sent to your door. Do you love books? You'll love Broadside Bookshop. What is the use of a book, thought Alice, without pictures and conversation? And now... Let us add dance. Momix presents Alice, a Momix interpretation of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland that sends you flying down a rabbit hole into a seamless blend of illusion, acrobatics, magic, and whimsy. The UMass Fine Arts Center presents Momix, Alice, Wednesday, October 25th at UMass. It's hard to picture a more imaginative interpretation of Lewis Carroll's story. Momix fills the stage with a marvelously dizzying and inventive flow of movement and activities. Get tickets now at the UMass Fine Arts Center website. Momix, in a new interpretation of Alice, Wednesday, October 25th at UMass. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. 
WHMP. We hope to be... We hope to be joined in just a few moments by Reverend Michael McSherry from Edwards Church here in Northampton. I want to talk to Reverend McSherry about what is the religious view or what is a biblical view of the wars ongoing now, obviously, not only in Ukraine, but also in Israel and in Gaza. So I would like to uh, perhaps start, Buzz, by asking you, how do you think this gets reconciled, that uh, uh, people on both sides, on all sides, are all praying for victory of some sort, uh, and they're all praying to the same gods for very different, very different results. Yeah, what a question. Um, I, obviously, I don't know the answer to the big question, how it gets resolved, but I, I think that any resolution is going to have to start with small steps. And we're getting some. I just think crazy I think we're getting some right uh, some noise, some road noise, probably from Reverend Michael McSherry, who I think. But let, let me just squeeze yes. in the answer to my question. I think it starts with a not small step, the step of a ceasefire. I think it has to start with Israel recognizing that the collateral damage is not collateral. There are human lives that are just being taken and made horrific, and we have to start by just recognizing that as heinous, unthinkably terrible as Hamas's October 7th invasion was, it is not lessened. It is not, the, the harm isn't diminished at all by inflicting more harm on children and women. And we well, just... I, th I think that's true, but from the Israeli government's point of view, should there be a ceasefire and should everything remain status quo, including Hamas in control, in total control politically and militarily of Gaza, then what's to stop the next attack ne next week, next month, next year? Uh, what's been resolved? That requires thought. And you don't think by viscerally reacting in anger. You think by pausing. And as we do, you know, they say don't make an important decision uh, when you're emotionally uh, upset. I think that you have to take pause, take a deep breath, and really think out how do we stop Hamas how do we how do we grab those people instead of doing what we did after 9/11 and just killing anything that moved? I just think we have to pause. Well, I think that the ceasefire that has been proposed by uh, Congressman McGovern and his progressive cohorts in the Congress has a lot of merit. I think that it also probably doesn't actually have much chance of being implemented at this point absent some other kinds of uh, actions being taken. So, for example, if Hamas were to say, we'll release all of the hostages, then perhaps that would have enough of a balance in it to say, for Israel to say, okay, let's, let's do that now. I still think that from Israel's point of view, the self-protection or lack thereof is a crucial component of all this, and unlikely to be the ceasefire is unlikely to be accepted uh, unless there's something really in it that provides more for the country's security. I have a different uh, view of it. I think it's going to be accepted. It's just going to happen too late. I think eventually they're going to have to recognize. I mean, the UN is trying to pass a resolution in the United States, and the Security Council keeps vetoing. I, the whole world wants, you, wants Israel to stop, pause, while still recognizing 
the horror that Israel suffered. I just think it's a matter of time before it has to engage. Oh, in. I, it's a matter of time. It's going to stop. It's got to stop. It's got to stop. Stop it, it now, Israel. Are we joined? Do we have Reverend Michael McSherry with us? The answer to that question is, I'm not sure. Reverend McSherry, are you with us? think the answer to that may be no. He, he's here. He just can't he hear. He can't hear. Ah, okay. Listen, let's do this. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll continue our Half Faith segment with Edwards Church Pastor Michael McSherry right after this. More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. Do you know what's happening this Friday at 9 a.m.? Is this week's Shop Friday, Hanger Pub and Grill? Correct! They go on sale this Friday at 9 a.m. Full value gift certificates and you save 30%. Famous for their amazing wings and beer, the Hanger Pub and Grill has multiple locations throughout Western Mass. The Hanger Wings paired with an Amherst Brewing beer is perfect before a game. After work, lunch. Check them out. Get ready to save 30% beginning Friday at 9 a.m. The Shop 30 store at whmp.com. Our school communities thrive when they address students, families, and educators' well-being. That's why the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education offers schools and districts the tools to meet these needs through our Office of Student and Family Supports. Caring for each other, growing together, back to school, better. Visit doe.mass.edu slash growing together. Sponsored by the Massachusetts Department of Elementary and Secondary Education. Get ready for an action-packed homecoming weekend at UMass. Join us for two thrilling games in Amherst starting Friday, November 3rd, as UMass Hockey takes on the Northeastern Huskies. Puck drop is set for 7.30. The weekend fun continues Saturday, November 4th, as Massachusetts football hosts Merrimack. Tailgating on Saturday, November 4th, starts at 11.30 a.m. and kickoff is set for 3.30. Rally up your friends, family, and classmates and return to campus. Get your tickets now by visiting UMass Athletics. You were, you are, you mass. Doing business in Amherst since 1968. Woman owned since 2017. Summerlin Floors does it all. Hardwood, carpet, porcelain tile, natural stone. Have you considered radiant floor heating? We're sales, we're design, we're installation. Our team at Summerlin Floors has been in the flooring business for over 50 years. People are pleasantly refreshed by the experience they get here compared to some of the, we'll say, bigger options in town. And this is our Have Faith segment. We have as our pastor in residence this morning, the Reverend Michael McSherry from Edwards Church. Reverend McSherry, we were talking just a few moments ago about the war, the war between Hamas and Israel at this point, and we were addressing the question in part of what does it mean that people on different sides of armed conflict resulting in death in horrifying atrocities are all praying, I would think, to the same God for victory. And how do you as a person of God resolve that seemingly irreconcilable kind of dilemma? 
to which I add as a, as a coda the question, and, and what does the Bible have to say about this? Well, Bill, um, I'm not sure I do resolve it. Um, to answer the first question or the first half of your question, um, the fact that people um, pray to God or pray to what they claim or recognize as God um, doesn't necessarily mean they have the same God in mind. Um, but I, I believe, just me, Michael, um, that when we use the name of the ineffable, we're all trying to point to the same thing. We're all um, trying to name the unnameable. And um, it would help if we all had enough humility to acknowledge that the thing that makes what we call God so powerful is we can't define it fully. We can't understand it completely and uh, pardon the use, but God help us if we try to control it. Um, when we when we claim to name God and when we say, I am praying to God for victory in my armed conflict with my neighbor, I think we're immediately um, engaging in a contradiction in terms because what I consider the best of what I know, and it's incomplete, but when I consider the best of what I know about our faith traditions, our religious traditions, they all make a claim for peace. They all make a claim for a moral standard that requires us to treat in one way or another our neighbors as well as we would treat ourselves. Um, <clears throat> so I think um, I think when and this is getting way out into you know theological speculation, but I think when people pray to God for victory in armed conflict, it just breaks God's heart. Could you tell me a bit of what the Bible says about armed conflict, whether it's <laughs> I can't tell you everything it says because we don't have time and I can't remember it all. Um, <clears throat> but let's, um, let's, let's go back to um, Cain and Abel and the question, you know, God asks, where's, where's your brother, right? And, and the murderous um, brother answered, am I my brother's keeper? And God said, you bet your ass. <laughs> that was not the King James Version, I don't think, but we get no, it. It's kind of not the King James Version. Okay. But, but um, yeah, I, I mean, you know, people do a lot of things out of grief and anger. Um, people do a lot of things out of... Um, out of our emotional reality and out of some of our impulses that aren't that aren't the most glorious or glamorous part of human nature but are very real and um, and I think we you know we first need to acknowledge that and um, a 
about ourselves, not just each other. Re- Reverend McSherry, isn't it also true that the, the Bible, uh, and I, I guess we might as well stay with the King James Version since that has come up, uh, glorifies military victory in various of its stories, various of its books? So um, I consider the Bible both um, inspired and not um, without error. I'm not one of those uh, Christians who claims that that Scripture is inerrant. It is um, the product of human endeavor. I consider the Bible to be a faithful record of human beings' best effort to describe their encounter with the holy. Now, a whole lot gets lost in translation between the holy and humans, and then a little more gets confused when we start describing our experience. I think you know, Bill, as a civil rights lawyer, a lot about the research in the last few decades on the untrustworthiness of eyewitness testimony. And the people who wrote the various books of the Bible, and the Bible isn't one book after all, it's a collection of the efforts of different authors, um, that, that eyewitness testimony is incredibly fraught with error. And when humans try to convey something about their encounter with a reality that by its nature is impossible to fully grasp, things get confused. And the, the, the tendency of, you know, humans to perhaps incorporate some of their own preferences or biases into their description is real. So when it says, for instance, in Joshua and Judges, um, the voice of God said, I meant it when I said kill everybody, just might be a reflection of human reportage more than divine inspiration. I wish, uh, Reverend Michael McSherry, this is Buzz, I, I, I wish more people of the cloth held your view because so many believe that it's a literal word of God contained in the Bible of many different religions, think that it's literally the word of God or his prophet. Um, and I, I, my... would, I would love to see um, a peer-reviewed survey that supports that statement, Buzz, because I question it. I would like to question I it, think, but I keep hearing I that. I think the I... majority of, of educated pastors, rabbis, imams, and other people of the cloth know that Scripture is not literal. But so many people, I mean, uh, what you said, you know, uh, there is in the Bible, turn the other cheek at the same time as the Bible, as you say, uh, whoever reported um, their eyewitness, quote unquote, um, testimony in the Bible. Also talk about, you know, the walls of Jericho and the Maccabees and uh, Samson killing the Philistines um, in the same uh, revered book. It's the Bible that talks about turning the other cheek. It's very difficult for some people who want to consider themselves reverent people to reconcile mm-hmm. completely opposite. So the, the, in, in, in Christianity, which I know 
much better than any other religious tradition. In Christianity, the tendency to claim the literal truth of the words on the page, the inerrancy of Scripture, is a modern position. It is a position that was developed in reaction against the modern schools of scriptural study that used historical, critical techniques, that used archaeology and language studies and you know, the analysis of scripture as a category of literature. And certain people, especially in the Christian tradition, experienced that as an irreverence toward the divine inspiration of Scripture and and started um, claiming over against um, the historical critical um, inquiry of you know what can we say Scripture says uh, and just said no you can't you can't even engage in that project uh, you have to take it literally and if you actually start to take Scripture literally, it, it falls apart in your hands because it in, it, it includes contradictions. People well, sometimes go through gymnastics uh, trying to avoid those contradictions, but they're there. It starts with Genesis and goes right through. Reverend McSherry, I would like to stick with this question of the literal words for a moment, because Jesus spoke Aramaic, and yeah. We have a long ways to go from Aramaic spoken thousands of years ago to the King James Version of the Bible in the mid, what, 1600s? Well, Tell us the, about the, that. The King James Bible is an, is, is an interesting um, illustration because the King James Bible was an effort to render, um, render the, 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 a translation in um, a rhythm of speech that was considered pleasing to that era of English speakers, right? And then when that's, you know, when that's a guiding principle as distinct from, you know, what's the truest rendering we can make of the content of the speech, you know, for its historical or theological content, you end up with very different translations. So you mean now, if we were to uh, ha- have a new version, we would Pharaoh would say to Moses, "So what up, bro?" Well, not necessarily, but there are there are translations that do take as their guiding principle. Um, we're going to render in contemporary everyday English what the substance of this language whatever it was given to us in says. And so that would be Koine Greek or the, you know, the Greek that's most often used in the New Testament. Um, Some Greek in the New Testament is more highbrow than others. I don't know anything about Hebrew, but um, I understand that the Hebrew in different books of the Hebrew Bible is different and displays a different degree of finesse. Um, so, you know, there's there's a there's a popular tr- contemporary translation of, of uh, the Bible called the Message, and it it might you might find in there, um, uh, you know, what's happening, bro, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in certain passages. Yeah. 
Okay. You have a final word for us on how we're going to reconcile the major philosophical, theological, and political issues of our time? There's a war going, um, going a war is going on. We'll give you the final word, Reverend McSherry. The final word. Or you um, or you could just leave it at you is, could just leave it at that um, side. Listen to the peacemakers in your own tradition. Ooh, I like that. I'm gonna do just that. No, I don't think it gets much better than that. Reverend Michael McSherry is a pastor at the Edwards Church here in Northampton. He is with us on a regular basis on our Half Faith segment. We really appreciate your time, your insights, and thanks for that really interesting discussion this, today. We really appreciate it, Reverend McSherry. And for, Shalom, Bill. Thank you. Assalam. Personal Jesus. Someone to hear your prayers. Someone who's there. Did you know that you can prevent domestic and sexual violence? You can say something. We all can say something. Together, we can do so much. Say Something is the domestic and sexual violence prevention program at Safe Passage. Join a prevention lab to build your skills and find opportunities to say something to prevent violence. Join us and help make your community safe and healthy for everyone. Get more information or sign up for a prevention lab at saysomethingnow.org. Have you heard of the Living Building Challenge? The Hitchcock Center for the Environment in Amherst invites you to explore a revolutionary new kind of building, generating its own electricity and using only water collected on site from rain. The Hitchcock Center is our region's first public environmental education center, demonstrating the highest standard of sustainable design. Come visit us. The Hitchcock Center, 845 West Street in Amherst. For more information, visit HitchcockCenter.org. WHMP Northampton and WRSI HD2 Turner's Falls. WHMP.com, a Northampton radio group station. It's 10 o'clock. We were killed in a hit on a residential building. All a day after President Biden's visit and agreements with Israel and Egypt's leaders to allow humanitarian aid into Gaza. Moksen Sarhan heads an Egyptian food bank, still waiting for a green light from Israeli officials. At the border, there are around 120 trucks stationed there. And then you have also around seven to eight uh, cargo planes load of uh, supplies. President Biden returned to the White House early this morning. Tonight, he'll address the nation in a primetime address. Correspondent Ed O'Keefe. The White House says the president's speech tonight is designed to lay out how the U.S. will respond to the Hamas attacks on Israel and to the continuing war in Ukraine. CBS News has learned the White House is preparing to ask Congress for roughly $100 billion over the next year, and that would include ensuring Israel's Iron Dome missile defense system is fully supplied. The president's request for aid will be stuck on Capitol Hill until Republicans agree on a new House speaker. They'll take a third vote on Jim Jordan, who lost more GOP support yesterday. Nebraska Republican Don Bacon says a family member's been threatened over his own opposition. He started sending texts to my, my wife anonymously, calling her anonymously with threats. It's wrong. 
A homicide at an East Coast military base. CBS's Jim Crisula has the details. Military investigators are handling a murder case in Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. A Marine was killed in a barracks Wednesday evening, and a second Marine was taken into custody. No other information has been released, including how the Marine died. Weekly unemployment claims have dropped to their lowest level in eight months. Bank rates Mark Hamrick. The level of new claims matches that of a year ago. This aligns with some other recent signals pointing to a strong economy with a recent surprising showing for retail sales. We'll find out how the housing market's responding to rising mortgage rates when the National Association of Realtors releases its new report on existing home sales this hour. Netflix just cracked down on password sharing and pumped up revenue, but it's raising prices anyway. Basic plans will go from $10 to 12 CBS News tech contributor Ian Schur. As competition between streaming companies has been heating up, they've also been increasing prices to help make bigger and better shows and movies to draw people in. Netflix premium plans will go from $20 to $23. Dow down 18. This is CBS News. If you need to hire, you need Indeed, because Indeed's all-in-one hiring solution helps you attract, interview, and hire candidates all from one place. Visit Indeed.com slash credit. Patrick was way behind on his IRS taxes. I was in way over my head. The total amount ended up being somewhere just over $30,000. $30,000. Then the IRS came to collect. Started getting letter after letter. A lien had been filed against me. They were going to basically like hang me completely out to dry. He had to do something. That's when I reached out to Optima Tax Relief. Patrick's life quickly got a lot easier. It was very easy. Pretty much hands off, you know. They picked up the ball and ran with it. And how'd it go? I couldn't believe it. I had to ask like two or three times. I saved an incredible amount of money. How does Patrick feel about Optima? Couldn't be happier. They definitely helped me. Optima Tax Relief, the best place to call. They're the best in the business. Do what Patrick did and call Optima Tax Relief for a free consultation. Call 800-343-6460. 800-343-6460. 800-343-6460. Optima Tax Relief. Testimonial from an actual client. Some restrictions apply. For complete details, please visit OptimaTaxRelief.com. Sylvester Stallone says he'll miss his movie brother-in-law very much. Burt Young was good at playing tough guys in the movies and on TV. In the Rocky movie franchise, he played Paulie, the intense brother-in-law and trainer. Now you're a big shot fighter on the way up. You don't even throw a clump to your friend Paulie. When I go and get your meat every morning. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. A Northampton Superior Court judge will announce today the amount of time Kara Rintala will be sentenced to prison for the murder of her wife. On October 5th, the jury found Rintala guilty of voluntary manslaughter in connection with the death of her wife, Anna Marie Cochran Rintala. Rintala's bail was revoked and she was escorted out of the courtroom in handcuffs. Voluntary manslaughter carries a maximum sentence of 20 years in prison. In addition, Rintala has already served more than seven years in confinement. An Amherst man was arrested yesterday for allegedly distributing and possessing child pornography. 25-year-old Bradley Driscoll of Amherst was indicted by a federal grand jury in Springfield on one count of distribution of child pornography and one count of possession of child pornography. In August 2022, Driscoll allegedly possessed videos of sexual abuse of a minor under the age of 12 and knowingly distributed them. If found guilty, he faces up to 20 years in prison for each charge. Two hikers discovered a body on Tully Mountain in Orange Wednesday morning. Orange police and fire departments responded to the report with Massachusetts State Police. While the identity of the person found has not been released yet, there is no foul play currently suspected. 
An interim superintendent of Amherst Schools, Douglas Slaughter, says he will release a draft report based on the contents of a Title IX investigation into alleged bullying and harassment of LGBTQ teens at the middle school while keeping personnel records confidential. Slaughter tells the Gazette on the advice of legal counsel, specific details won't come out publicly due to liability. Partly to mostly sunny today, the high of 62 to 66, mostly cloudy tonight, overnight low of 44 to 50, showers and rain developing here for tomorrow, the high of 60 to 64, Saturday looks damp too. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP. And welcome to Talk the Talk, I am Buzz Eisenberg. I'm Bill Newman. And Bill Newman has dubbed this time of the week science and sensibility time. It's when we get to meet not only with Brian Adams, but the incredible array of guests that he brings on. Uh, Brian is always worried about sustainability. He's always worried about the global climate change and its impact on the globe. I've got really good news. Brian has a guest who says Northampton will be exempted from the globe's problems. Is that right? I wish. I wish. The worry is the operative Word here. Worry, worry, worry. I have, uh, in case people don't know, I have OCD, um, which is obsessive climate disorder. <laughs> Not to be confused and no disrespect for um, the other OCDers out there. But it's something I worry about a lot and the way that I make it through my day and my life, because it's all about me, right, Buzz? It sure is. <laughs> exactly. Uh, the way I make it through my life is knowing that there are really good people out there uh, helping to solve this climate chaos crisis that we're in and move us uh, in a direction um, that is sustainable and uh, livable and exciting to be around. I'd like to welcome to the studio Carol Collins. Carol is the new Climate Action and Project Administration Chief, C-A-P-A Kappa Chief. Uh, She was appointed earlier. For Northampton. For Northampton. She was appointed earlier this year. The position was created by Mayor Gina Louise to help ensure that uh, we move forward in terms of climate issues. Carol, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. So tell us about this position and what your goals are and what you hope to get out of it. Well, I'm really excited about the position. I'm really excited about this department. As you mentioned, it's the Climate Action and Project Administration Department. It's brand new, and it was really formed as a, an outcome of, of the commitment that Northampton ha- has and, and the administration to achieve the climate goals of, of getting Northampton off of fossil fuels by 2030. But the department itself is set up in such a way that I think it's just going to ensure a, a tremendous amount of success. There's three of us. It includes an energy officer in addition to myself, who's fabulous, and then we've rolled in procurement, which is kind of innovative, but it's a place where we really need to be making sure all of our decisions are sustainable, so to have that all within our department is really exciting. And are you welcomed with open arms? Are people saying, oh, here comes yet another department, yet another uh, person to tell us what to do? How, I how think they you? all love us. Uh. No, <laughs> it's been very welcoming so far and it's been great to get to see what's already been happening and so right now it's more just learning about what each department's been doing and how to kind of carry that torch forward and um, work collaborate 
with with different departments. There's so many great things going on. So it's a, it's a bit overwhelming, but really all great stuff. Well, it's your, I've been at the job almost three weeks. We expect the climate crisis to be solved by the end of the month. So that's yeah. another another week and a half. But, but Brian, I, I, I do want to just interject. I have a very serious question. I joked at the beginning, but is a global climate crisis really, does it require local attention? And if so, why? It does. And, but you, you did say something that I, I've often thought that, so for instance, I just came from Greenfield where I worked for 13 years. We had a lot of success. It doesn't mean that then, oh, we're exempt from any climate issues. We're not going to have extreme temperatures or, or different impacts. And that's the unfortunate part, but we all have to keep working as hard as we can. If I may, I have a quote that I thought really kind of, um, it's from Clarissa Pinkola Estes, who wrote the Women Who Run With the Wolves. I just love her. But ours is not the task of fixing the entire world all at once, but of stretching out to mend the part of the world that is within our reach. And to me, that really spoke very strongly. We have people working on so many different aspects my my passion is working on climate change and and doing what I can, so I think we we just all need to continue doing that and maybe n- knowing that it's in the right direction. That's a really wonderful quote, isn't by it? A wonderful wonderful author. You worked um, in Greenfield as the Energy and Sustainability Director for uh, almost ten ten years. Was Thirteen that? years. Thirteen years. Oh my goodness. Um, Tell us about some of the successes you had in Greenfield. Great. I'd love to. So um, I, I learned to say that I never want to be first in anything. I want to be second because in Greenfield we were first in a lot of things and you get to be kind of the guinea pig and <laughs> deal with all the obstacles. But um, some of the, the kind of biggest uh, successes were we, we – I shepherded the first commercial PACE project in the state, and that is, uh, I don't know, for anyone who doesn't know, it's um, property, oh my gosh, am I going to forget? Property assess, anyway, it's a way to fund low-cost funding that comes from mass development to help commercial property owners make energy efficiency and clean energy improvements to their buildings. So we got to do a fabulous project at the Abercrombie building. If anyone's familiar with it, it's absolutely beautiful. It's now the DA's offices up there. And so mass development helped make that project possible. And it hit kind of all the notes we would hope that, that it implemented it as solar on the roof, super energy efficient, uh, great insulation and all things that typically are very hard to fund. So it's, um, Exciting to have that be in Greenfield, and uh, more recently, right before I left, we were given a gift in the vein of, of your generosity in Northampton. Um, a resident donated a solar array that we put on our DPW office building, so it's now net zero, which for me was a very huge accomplishment. Um, and... Let's see. Well, those are two really, really good ones, and hopefully they can translate to some of the projects here in Northampton. When you talk about net zero and carbon neutrality, translate that for us, for our listeners who hear that, and it's like, what does net zero mean? And to be carbon neutral, what does that mean? 
So net zero, the definition of that is that when you look at a building, that over the course of a year, you generate as much energy as you consume. So that's kind of the goal because then you're basically not using any fossil fuels, right? And, um, and so carbon neutrality is, can be a bit of a more detailed um, explanation of that. There's ways to, to also offset your carbon if you are using it and there aren't ways to really reduce it any further. But it's a way to just talk about making a building fossil fuel free. Uh, Northampton has ambitious goals for carbon neutrality. Could you go back before you, that, that was, that was, uh, what about net zero? Is that, is that part of the definition is uh, when oh. we say we talked about carbon neutrality and net zero, was that def what you just told us? Does that define both? Well, net zero, that, that is the actual definition that you consume as much energy as you over the course of a year is, you're or you generate, you're as, generate much as, you as much as you use. That's so net, you have a net of zero. That's zero. And carbon neutrality, is that the same definition? Pretty close? I would say that carbon neutrality tends to be a little more inclusive of other alternative ways to offset carbon. So, um, and again, I, I'm the first to admit that our field gets very complicated, but there's ways to purchase remote um, renewable energy, and then you can offset what, you are using at a building if if it's not a good site to say put solar on not every building can host solar so there's other ways to achieve that okay appreciate that thank you so northampton has these goals of carbon neutrality for all city operations by 2030 yes i hate to tell our listeners but it's 2024 <laughs> not too long so right shh. Uh, that's six years mm. and it seems like an incredibly ambitious uh, goal what are some of the steps you're planning or thinking or dreaming or fantasizing about that the city can take to to achieve this carbon this uh, uh, carbon neutrality by 2030? So you are correct. It is ambitious. And the whole city, the, the commitment is that the whole city will be carbon neutral by 2050. So it's not like we get to 2030 and we're done. Um, and yes, the, it, it takes a very multidisciplinary approach. It really takes thinking about kind of every aspect of our lives in, in how we conduct getting from point A to point B. Transportation is a huge component of that. And um, so I would say that one of the big things there's, well, one, I should back up a little bit. There's already been an energy officer that worked for about 15 years in Northampton who did a great job. And um, so it's not like we're starting from zero. There's already been a lot of accomplishments, including solar installations and upgrading buildings, making them more energy efficient. So we're kind of picking that baton up and then working on the next iteration, which is, uh, again, very exciting. And uh, Well, Northampton Climate Chief Carol Collins, is, is your purview just municipal buildings? Or it because it seems to me... I don't know, but I would guess that residence, residences, uh, their carbon footprint is far outweighs what the municipal carbon footprint is. And so when you talk about 2030, are you talking about just municipal buildings? And 2050 is the entire city, including residences? Is that how it works? Correct. However, it doesn't mean we're not going to do anything <clears throat> on the non-municipal uh, non front. So there are other uh, projects we're working on 
currently right now with uh, the Clean Energy Center, and that is to help residents make the energy upgrades that they need to do, installing heat pumps and insulating their homes. And uh, so I'm really excited about that. I'm still learning about all the details, but but that's going to be a really fabulous project to undertake. And I can I make a quick pitch that the Inflation Reduction Act, there's money that's coming down from that, that it, now is the time. If you've been waiting or anyone who, uh, it is maybe complicated, but there's great incentives available that are making improvements on any energy improvements. Energy incentives cost. to private home To residences, owners, yes. Uh -huh, to do energy efficiency yep. Yep. and heat pumps too. Many, mm -hmm. For those that don't know what heat pumps are, mini splits is another word. It uh, does both air conditioning and heating uh, and can really be a wonderful retrofit. Um, I know the city has moved all new construction uh, is going to have to be um, fossil fuel free mm -hmm. and require all electric. But as Buzz said, it seems like the already built environment is the biggest challenge. It is. Now, not just with you know, private homes, but city buildings as well. They're old, they're beautiful, uh, but they are energy sieves. You know, how, how do you deal with the, it, it seems like the new stuff, we got it, right? Right. Okay, it's super insulated and you got solar on the top and you got mini splits. It's, it's uh, all electric, but it's the old stuff that just seems daunting in how to, con how to convert that into a carbon neutral environment. I feel like you're inside my head because <laughs> I've been learning about the the Academy of Music and the Forbes Library are both, you know, the absolutely gorgeous historical buildings, but they're not cookie cutter. You know, it's it's going to. And so there's been a lot of attempts, a lot of measures already taken. And, and that is part of what we're picking up and continuing with. There's been some insulation just done recently, um, but it's it is a challenge. But we're always that's what we do. We. We deal with challenges and rise to the rise, occasion. Yes. Well, that's, that's a great place to take a break. Let's rise to the occasion dealing with challenges. Brian Adams is speaking with Carol Collins, Northampton's new climate chief. We're going to be right back. This is an important conversation. We're going to continue right after this. They paid paradise, put up a parking lot with a pink hotel, a boutique, and a swinging hot spot. Seem to go that you don't know what you've got till it's gone. It paid paradise, put up a parking lot. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. Emotions and experiences play an important role in our financial decision making. Every Saturday morning, hear real-life stories and positive solutions to issues we all face when it comes to our relationship with money. Financial Fitness with the Money Doctor, Francis Rayum, Saturday mornings at 8.30 on 101.5, 1400 WHMP. What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member, Bill Newman. Rutabagas, sweet potatoes, turnips, and leeks. Local produce is rooting its way to the co-op every day. At the co-op meat counter, try coffee-rubbed hanger steak, a delicious mix of sweet and bold heat. New recipe and you need just a pinch of this herb or that spice? Get just the right amount in the co-op's bulk department. River Valley Co-op, wild about local. 
everyone is welcome. You're a nonprofit doing good work in the community. You want to let people know? That's easy. Talk to Hannah. Tell her you want to have a PSA on WHMP. If you're a community nonprofit, WHMP helps you communicate. Have an event? Need donations? Volunteers? Talk to Hannah. She'll help you craft a message and we'll run it at no cost. Hi, it's Hannah. Email me at hward at whmp.com or call me at 586-7400. WHMP News, Information, and the Arts and messages from community nonprofits. Does your partner threaten or isolate you? Do they control where you go, who you talk to, or what choices you make? Are you afraid of what they might do? You have the right to a healthy and safe relationship. If you're experiencing abuse, emotional, verbal, physical, Safe Passage is here for you. It's all free and completely confidential. Call our helpline to explore your options and plan for safety. That's 413-586-5066, Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Or visit safepass.org today. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And we are back. We're having, you know, it really is an important conversation, local responses to global problems. Um, Brian Adams is speaking with Carol Collins, our new Northampton climate chief, who uh, has an incredible mission. And and Brian, uh, you were talking to Carol. Yeah, uh, a, a city of Northampton achieving carbon neutrality, fossil fuel free, for all city operations by 2030, and net zero carbon emissions by 2050 throughout the city. That is a daunting uh, task, uh, Carol Collins, and it's so happy to have you as the new Climate Action and Project Administration Chief. That's a mouthful for your position, isn't it? Carol, you read a quote earlier on. It really moved, I think, all of us of how to take a uh, major international crisis, which is climate change, and deal with it on a local level. Can you read that again to us and give who the author is? Sure. So the, this great quote is by Clarissa Pinkola Estes, and it is, Ours is not the task of fixing the entire world all at once, but of stretching out to mend the part of the world that is within our reach. That is within our reach, and certainly there's so much uh, we can be doing out there. What do you think will be the hardest part of your job as a new climate chief? <laughs> She's throwing back her head and laughing. No, she wasn't <laughs> laughing. She was whimpering. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, I think you're <laughs> it's more accurate. Buzz. Um, well, I've, I think I've learned that nothing is easy. So even like with this recent Net Zero project, I was like, oh, I have so much to do, but I, I can't not take this on. It's going to be so quick, so easy. I, I've learned not to say that. So trying to predict what the hardest thing is going to be is, um, uh, I, I will say, I think, I think, mm, historically having residents, you know, homeowners and renters taking advantage of the, and, and we have the number one programs in the country for energy efficiency in Massachusetts, and we have for over a decade, but still getting people to actually take advantage of it, which is, as we've already discussed, it's critical. We have to do that. Yeah, the energy efficiency, less sexy than solar and yeah. solutions like that, but it is key to anything. Just uh, the, you know, the best energy we can use is the energy that we don't use. Correct. Right, and how to tighten up some of these city buildings. 
Let's go back to solar for a minute. Um, we have a huge amount of city-owned parking lots. Um, and I'm thinking about UMass with some of the solar uh, on parking lots, the new or relatively new uh, co-op in East Hampton that is uh, a net zero building, I think the first supermarket in the country, I believe, with a huge solar raise. Are there any plans to solarize some of the city parking lots? Well, that's where I'm going to have to pause because I'm, I don't want to give you the wrong information. I know it's something that is incredibly important. I know it, it's something that needs to be looked at, and I I'm, I'm just don't want to say for certain. I don't know where that's at, but it's definitely something that I want to explore. Yeah, it seems like you know, there's all the controversy over clear-cutting forest in some of the beautiful forests that, that we have. Yeah, we have these some abandoned parking lots mm -hmm. or in-use parking lots that would just would be ideal for solar. It's a little more expensive with that infrastructure, but nonetheless, here's the already built environment, whether it's roofs or um, or parking lots that I think are just begging right. for solar arrays to be put on. That w I, I think would make a lot of sense for the city to 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 pursue that. Let me ask you another question: Are you? This is a daunting task. I mean, to be the climate chief, and so many people in Northampton are so active and so passionate, and so do it, do it, do it now. <laughs> um, uh, are you optimistic about being able to um, make change? Uh, and are you optimistic in general about the climate crisis that we're in? I mean, I'm thinking about the summers, the hottest summer on record, the floods just wiping out farmland, the, you know, and then it's, you know, the apple, there's no apples on the apple trees. Just very discouraging in so many ways. Are you optimistic? I think I'm kind of hardwired that way. I'm, I'm hardwired to be optimistic, and also I seem to really love a challenge. So that's what I've been doing my whole life is just doing hard things. But I think I feel that I'm compelled to. I can't not. And as far as optimistic, that's a, that's a big, big question. Usually I am. But if I'm going to be honest, I know that from what I know that the climate change that we're experiencing, all these efforts we're making now are going to take some time before we see the positive change of bringing, you know, bringing temperatures down and the um, effects to minimize. So I, I think we've got some very... Um, Difficult times where we just don't know what is going to happen. Difficult times that you will rise to the occasion and make happen. Bill, you have a question? I do. I'd like to know, uh, Carol Collins, whether there are best practices that are being used regionally. So the things that are happening in Amherst or Greenfield or East Hampton will be adopted in Northampton and vice versa. Can you tell us if there are those kinds of efforts and or coordination? That's a great question, and there there are. I, I feel like uh, this is still kind of a burgeoning field. For instance, the department that Northampton has created is because there is nothing else like it. And um, so I, I think we need, we're all trying to figure this out as we go, and and that collaboration is, is critical. So I know um, we, we all look to each other to kind of help work on things together and, and we are in the process of working with Amherst and Pelham on our new municipal aggregation program. So we, yes, short answer, yes. 
<laughs> and we need to. We, need, we can't do this alone. For individuals in Northampton who would like to get involved in the climate discussion or um, get suggestions to you, how would you suggest they get in touch with you or go about doing that? Well, we do have a web page on the city's website. Some things are still being kind of worked out, but that emailing me from there or we're our staff and uh, there are also other just phenomenal groups all throughout the area working on all of these issues. So um, there's that. And then there's also the Northampton Energy and Sustainability Commission that meets on the second Tuesday at four o'clock every month. So that's open to the public for anyone who's interested. So lots of possibilities there sure. for individuals to get involved. I, I am just so pleased that Northampton has made the commitment that it, it does. Back in July in Architectural Digest, they did a survey. Did you? I don't know if you saw it, Carol Collins, but um, of the cities that uh, have so far been found to have the most uh, aggressive and effective uh, strategies to deal with climate change. And uh, it's a really interesting article. I was just looking at it. Denver, Raleigh, and Salt Lake City model some... Um, really innovative stuff and I understand Northampton has been thinking along some of the same lines. So and of course the elephant in the room right now is the redesign and right. the bike paths and the things that uh, Bill and uh, and so many have been focused on here in Northampton for a long time. I'm sure you're going to be uh it's going to take a lot of your time. Yep. We've been talking with Carol Collins. She is the new Climate Action Project Administration Chief um for Northampton. Carol, thank you so much for being with us. We really appreciate all the work that you're doing and will continue to do. And we hope to have you back once you have some successes uh, lined up and some good projects to tell us about. Really, we're all very helpful. And thank you, Northampton. Thank you, Carol. Um, and Brian, thank you for bring, bringing Carol to us. As, as always, you've informed us greatly. So we're going to be right back. We're going to talk music right after this. All things and what they used to be Oil wasted on the oceans And upon our seas Fish full of mercury This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. A Northampton Superior Court judge will announce today the amount of time Kara Rintala will be sentenced to prison for the murder of her wife. On October 5th, the jury found Rintala guilty of voluntary manslaughter in connection with the death of her wife, Anna Marie Cochran Rintala. Rintala's bail was revoked and she was escorted out of the courtroom in handcuffs. Voluntary manslaughter carries a maximum sentence of 20 years in prison. In addition, Rintala has already served more than seven years in confinement. An Amherst man was arrested yesterday for allegedly distributing and possessing child pornography. 25-year-old Bradley Driscoll of Amherst was indicted by a federal grand jury in Springfield on one count of distribution of child pornography and one count of possession of child pornography. In August 2022, Driscoll allegedly possessed videos of sexual abuse of a minor under the age of 12 and knowingly distributed them. If found guilty, he faces up to 20 years in prison for each charge. Two hikers discovered a body on Tully Mountain in Orange Wednesday morning. Orange police and fire departments responded to the report with Massachusetts State Police. 
While the identity of the person found has not been released yet, there is no foul play currently suspected. An interim superintendent of Amherst Schools, Douglas Slaughter, says he will release a draft report based on the contents of a Title IX investigation into alleged bullying and harassment of LGBTQ teens at the middle school while keeping personnel records confidential. Slaughter tells the Gazette on the advice of legal counsel, specific details won't come out publicly due to liability. Partly mostly sunny today, the high of 62 to 66, mostly cloudy tonight, overnight low of 44 to 50, showers and rain developing here for tomorrow, the high of 60 to 64, Saturday looks damp too. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. Hi, Tom Hartman here. Be sure to join me noon to 3 Eastern Time, Monday through Friday, right here on the Tom Hartman Program. Occupying the media three hours a day, five days a week for We the People. On 101.5 and 1400. Join me noon to three Eastern time, Monday through Friday, right here on the Tom Hartman Program. WHMP. Chronic joint pain has a snowball effect. It's not just the pain. What that did is just make me depressed that I couldn't get back into the gym. And I was inactive, gaining weight. I had to find another alternative. And for Chad, that alternative was QC Kinetics and the non-surgical natural biologic treatments that can give lasting relief to aching hips, shoulders, knees, and backs. Once they explained it, it made sense. Putting what we have inside our body back into us in a certain strategic way to heal up in a natural process was fantastic. QC Kinetics treatments take place right in the office. No downtime, no surgery. And as for the outcome? I'm just back to bouncing around, having fun, doing my work, living pain-free. Don't let chronic joint pain rob you of your quality of life. Discover advanced regenerative medicine at QC Kinetics. Call now to learn more. It's a free consultation. Call QC Kinetics, 413-992-5450. That's 413-992-5450. 413-992-5450. Hi, I'm Martha Stewart. Every year, more than 4 million pets enter shelters here in the United States. My friends at American Humane have been helping animals since 1877. The goal is to ensure that pets have a safe shelter, especially during natural disasters. Adopting a shelter pet allows shelters to help more animals awaiting care. Please consider adopting today and take some time to learn more about American Humane's other work at AmericanHumane.org. And welcome back to the show. This is, I just love this portion of the show. We have with us Ruth Griggs, and she has a really a very special uh, guest with a lot of unique skills. But I just have to lead with uh, a congratulatory note. It was a while ago, but Ruth, the Jazz Festival was a tremendous success, notwithstanding the weather. Thank and you. you must be exhausted. <laughs> a little a little burned out. Yeah, a little burned out, but we'll recover and we'll be we'll be right back at it in 2024. But yeah, thank you for that. It, How would you characterize 2023's Jazz Fest? It it was the most challenging fest that I've ever run um because of the weather and just, you know, things just but the great news is that the audience was there in droves. They seemed to have a wonderful time. The musicians played their hearts out. 
We had, I a think... A sparkling array of musicians. Yeah, I think we had 52 <clears throat> tickets left to sell at the Academy, so that was basically a sellout. So everybody was pretty was pretty happy, um, which was great. And, you know, but that's that's what you do when you're running a festival. You're, you're like, making sure everything runs smoothly, and, and, and you want everybody to have a great time, so... Well, you have to be good was, at... You have to have so many skills to run this thing, but... Where else could we find somebody who has such a wide array of skills? Well, and then we have our volunteers, and we have our board, and we have people like our friend Jack Frisch, who is on today. Is that and the guy sitting in the studio across from me right now? <laughs> he is the guy sitting in the studio. We have actually somebody in person, which is which is lovely. Um, Jack is... Um, Someone who has been promoting musicians, jazz musicians, rock musicians, classical musicians, in a myriad of different ways for 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 over twenty years, and I we wanted to have him on the show just to just for him to talk about the way that he makes musicians' lives, you know, more creative, um, you know, more um, marketing, you know, capable, um, you know, transporting their 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 instruments, et cetera, et cetera. So, Jack, we're going to talk a little bit about all of these <laughs> jack-of-all-trades <laughs> that you seem to be so good at, at doing for musicians <laughs> up and down the East Coast. So thanks yeah. for being here in Northampton today. Oh, thank you today. for having me. Yeah. So, so tell us, like... You know, how you got your start with, you know, supporting musicians with, you know, marketing and graphics and CD covers and advertising and merch and, you know, <laughs> transporting their materials all over, you know, their instruments all over the place. How did this start? Oh, great, great, great story. I, uh, I went to school for computer programming because that was the big deal, the big thing in the 80s, right? And uh, I also was a uh, English writing major. And I was also a, a minor in Shakespeare. <laughs> a lot of variety there. Yeah, you and, started as a jack of all trades. Yeah. <laughs> so I was doing a lot of newspaper production around Staten Island, where I was born and raised. And I was working at a company called Nobody Beats the Wiz as an assistant I art director. I remember that place. Yeah, totally I was work, remember that place. I was working place. assistant art director. And I was already a big fan of uh, a lot of session players and, uh, and bands. And uh, I started to go see a musician named Hiram Bullock, who was a, a, I was a great fan of his work. And I put together, I said, you know, I was tired of seeing these posters at venues that were like hand scribbled and written. And I said, let me design a poster that could be a design that could be reused over and over again. And I put it, I put a package together and like a 24 by 48 manila envelope from The Wiz. I took it home and I put it together. I figured if I mail this to Hiram, there's no way he's going to throw it out. It's too big to just, and that's what happened. He opened it up. I saw him at the next gig he did in town at a place called Manny's Car Wash where he had recurring gigs. <laughs> and I went up and I approached him and I said, uh, did you get that package? He said, that was you? I said, yeah. And he really didn't know me. I said, you know, I don't have a need right now for a designer or anything, but I'll keep you in mind. And about a week later, he called me. His, uh, his manager called me and said, uh, we want to have you design Hiram's website. And that was it. Nice. And that became an international sensation, so, so to speak, because he had a big following. That's fantastic. And uh, he was the original guitar player on a Letterman show. A lot of people remember him. And that's how it started. And then within six months, I had a reputation in New York. And by the end of the year, over in Japan, in Europe, because I connected with a producer named Todd Barkin. Uh, mm -hmm. And he was a real prolific producer. And he started putting me in sessions to photograph bands. And 
it just got real busy. That's that, fantastic. Ruth, is why Jack Frisch's picture is in every car wash. In the exactly. <laughs> Manny's car wash. I mean, what? Was that on Staten Island or in No, the city? that was in Manhattan up in really? the 80s. And it was like, it was part of the circuit where all the blues players would come into town. They would play there in Chicago Blues down on 13th Street. Wow. And that was part of the circuit. Down south, it would be like, what, the, the Kitlin circuit, they would call it? Well, this was the Northeast circuit. Oh, that's And so everybody cool. came through the Northeast would stop there. Who so, was Manny? Uh, I, mean, I don't know. Manny I don't here, know. Manny's but... car wash was owned by two brothers, and <laughs> they, uh, they were kind of partying the whole time. But it was fun. It was fun. <laughs> Those yeah. were the days. So that's literally how it started. And then the transport thing started from uh, being at a gig like that. Uh, actually, it, it happened with Hireman, Willie, and Marcus Miller. I'd say, hey, man, how are you getting home with your gear or your upright base? And so I'm taking a cab or a subway. No, I'm taking you. And it became a whole nother business. That's, that's, talk about networking. Just talk about putting yourself out there. Well, I found that if you, uh, if you just speak up a little, sometimes if you can walk away from a situation and go, oh man, I should have spoke up. I could have got a gig at it. And right. I don't right. consider myself to be anything other than average New Yorker, which I guess that's aggressive to begin with, but I would open up my <laughs> mouth and say, you know, do you need help with that? And well, you did that with me in the jazz festival, because I, I, you know we have. You, 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 your listeners may remember that we had a seventy-eight RPM uh, record DJ in the park, uh, Matthew Fat Cat Rivera, mm. and last year was his first year there, and we wanted to have a promotional thing of giving away seventy-eights because he literally has twenty thousand of them. <laughs> so we we gave away seventy-eights at a couple of the record stores and. And I wanted to have a promotional sleeve, obviously, because it was, you know, to promote the 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 gig that that Fat Cat had in the park. And and I was at an event with Jack, and Jack was like, you know, I I can do that for you. And I'm like, you can. And you know, not you know, you did it as a volunteer, which was yeah, very very yeah, sweet. It was fun. But you know, it, it does pay to just because people don't know. You have to you have to put yeah. yourself and, out there. And a lot of times, and this has kind of been my my thing with my work is that my goal has always been to make the regional musicians, the unknowns, not just the legendary known international stars, make everyone's work look like a large record label designed their CD. And it's just being organized and having ideas. Well, Jack Frisch, you've literally crafted a, uh, a career out of a quote-unquote industry that doesn't exist, which is, or maybe it does exist, it, it just does, helping yeah. musicians. Yeah, yeah, I've been very fortunate because. Uh, but you, but you, but you're also doing it sort of one-on-one, -on -one relationship to relationship. I mean, I'll never forget when I was at Bombix earlier this year, and Christian McBride was playing with his Philadelphia crew, and it, I mean, Christian McBride here, you know, legendary bass player, blah blah blah, and he like did a shout out to Jack Frisch from the stage, and I'm like, what? <laughs> but these are the kinds of relationships that Jack has developed over the years, which is really very much a part of the jazz scene. I mean, I can't speak to mm -hmm. rock and classical, but that's very much part of the jazz scene is building your network and having all of these friends and, and supporters, you know, that just turn up in the most surprising places. It's a small well, world it, in many ways. It in becomes the rock, Jack, a very small world. Jack probably knows this, but in, in the rock universe, there are these roadies that just sort of, I think, do similar kinds of things, although it sounds like Jack's skills transcend just helping to lift I some was, amplifiers. I was just a roadie on a tour in Ireland with Greenfield, Massachusetts-based musician Rosie Kane. 
okay. So you do that too. Yeah. Sure, why not? (laughs) But uh, in terms of the transport thing, I've kind of portrayed it as a little more specialized than, say, somebody who drives up to a a gig or a venue with a beat-up white van with a big padlock on the back. It's been more (laughs) like, uh, and there are many of those, it's uh, more like uh, a golf caddy. You know, I'm right there with the musician. You know, I've... I've, uh, I call it a transport and assisting. I, I work for Mike Stern, uh, the guitar player, and I don't just bring his gear into a venue and set it up. He wants me there during sound check to tell him how it sounds because he knows I know his music. And, and that's happened a lot. And it's happening more now. People are calling me and want me to be there for my ears, which is yeah. real treat. <laughs> which, is, which is so important. Yeah, to have yeah. that trust. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, just to, uh, again, just to be in their presence and to observe what they need. And, you know, there certainly are a lot of things that a musician needs sometimes that they don't even realize, you know, Mm. because, you know, a lot of musicians, they're going from gig to gig. And maybe to your point, these are sometimes musicians that haven't made it yet. And they don't have really the support that they deserve. And it's wonderful for Jack to be there to, to help because when you give that kind of support to a musician, it just buoys them up and it makes them just feel loved and, and frankly, play, play and they can relax and out. play. Exactly. I, I uh, drove exactly. Mike Stern up a couple of years ago up to the Albany Jazz Fest. And right when he got done, I was right there, popped up from the stage and started taking down his gear. And he looked at me, he goes, Jack, it's so much more fun when you're here, you know? Yeah. And then he's able to relax and play. Yeah. Because when you think about it, when a musician goes from stage to stage, from venue to venue, he or she has no idea what they're going to encounter. They don't know whether there's anybody there to support them, whether there's going to be a cup of coffee that they need, you know, somebody to support them with their sound. And when they come and they see that, that there are people that are ready and waiting for them to, to, you know, to do the right things. It just, it just, it's, it's kind of like being on a baseball team, you know, and you're the pitcher as in the musician, you're the pitcher and you have a great outfield behind you. Well, <laughs> um, even better, you have a great utility player. Who, so when the shortstop <laughs> gets hurt, that you could put somebody in at yeah. shortstop, he also right. plays center field. Right. But I, I'm struck, Jack Frisch, that here you are surrounded by people whose creativity is otherworldly in my view. You know, I have such an admiration for those people like Ruth Griggs, who's a vocalist, who are just so creative. Well, you have the same kind of creativity. You just bring it to tasks that those geniuses can't wrap their minds around. Well, and I also think that, yeah, I mean, it's clear that that Jack Frisch has a ton of creativity, and because of your relationships with musicians, you get them. Yeah. And and, and that's, tell us a story about Marcus Miller's CD. Oh, okay. So I I was fortunate to do uh, design five CDs for Marcus over the years. And a, a, a legendary, also a, a bass player, prolific as well as a, a, yeah. Yeah, a, a bass clarinetist. Yeah, that's right. So uh, I got hired to do a CD for Marcus. Uh, oh, I'll tell the story about Silver Rain. I, I, it was my second, third or second CD for Marcus. And I worked really closely with him and his manager throughout the whole process of a CD design uh, and getting involved with the titles, uh, getting involved with the liner notes, and the artwork. And Silver Rain, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. Marcus was going to be in New York uh, at some point to record. And the night before, went to bed, and I thought about the design of my sleep. And I woke up in the morning with a design, and I put it together. I did a pretty tight mock-up. 
And uh, the design was Marcus is known to keep the chrome cover on his front pickup on his Fender Jazz Bass. A lot of players get rid of that cover because they need that spot to play. He works around it. But that chrome cover is like a mirror. So I said, well, why, why don't I ref put a reflection of his face in that with water drops on it? Silver rain, silver, the chrome cover. So I put that together. I laid out foiled on my work desk. I sprinkled water on it, photographed it, brought it to Photoshop, did everything real quick that morning and brought, brought it up to the studio. I think it was Avatar Studios in Manhattan. And when Marcus had a break, his manager said, show him now. And I went up and we put it in the, in the garage, put the, hooked up the garage, showed it to him, and Marcus goes, that's it, that's Silver Rain, done. We didn't touch the cover, just like that. Yeah, that's, so. a, that's a beautiful <laughs> moment, isn't it? That's it's a really beautiful, beautiful moment, moment of creativity. We are yeah. speaking with Ruth Griggs, and her guest, the just extraordinarily talented Jack Frisch, whose job it is to remove the barriers so that the greatness of the people that he works with can shine. We'll be right back talk with Jack and Ruth some more. More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. The Western Mass Business Show with local dynamo Tara Brewster, Saturdays at 11 and Sundays at 2, only on WHMP. Brought to you by Greenfield Savings Bank with offices all throughout Hampshire and Franklin counties. Greenfieldsavings.com. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. Our school communities thrive when they address students, families, and educators' well-being. That's why the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education offers schools and districts the tools to meet these needs through our Office of Student and Family Supports. Caring for each other, growing together, back to school, better. Visit doe.mass.edu slash growing together. Sponsored by the Massachusetts Department of Elementary and Secondary Education. Drugstore chain Rite Aid has filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy and it's likely many stores will be closing their doors. The company says the bankruptcy process will help Rite Aid reduce its debt while still remaining open for customers. No word yet on how many stores will close. Home sales are falling and 2023 sales are projected to be at the lowest level since the housing market crash of 2008. Among the latest evidence, pending home sales plunged by 7.1% in August, according to the National Association of Realtors. More restaurant chains are de-emphasizing their dining rooms and putting more effort into drive-through and delivery. A new industry report picks out the winners in the fast casual category. Jersey Mike's finished at the top and also had the highest overall score, followed by Raising Cane's, Jimmy John's, and Cadoba. I'm Mark Huffman. Learn more at ConsumerAffairs.com. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And we are back with Ruth Griggs, who, of course, can do so many things. She has such a wide <laughs> array of, of skills, but she's talking to a true Guy Friday, Jack Frisch. 
<laughs> Jack Frisch. That's a, that's another that's another phrase for Jack Frisch is the, the guy Friday, the the guy who can do it all. Um, yeah, it's been really it's been really f- great to have you on the show and oh, talk to you, you about the myriad of things that you do. And I think it's important for you know any and all you know jazz musicians out there, classical musicians, rock musicians, to know that you know you're there to support them, whether it's you know, coming up with a CD label, whether it's doing ads, whether it's doing merch, whether it's doing a logo for a new mm. band. I actually have a son who's looking for a, no- a logo for his, his band, so we'll have to talk <laughs> after the show. Um, and, you know, as well as the love and care of transporting instruments. And George Kay is a, is a, is a bass player who has mm. been on our board and is a board of, uh, on our board of advisors for the Jazz Festival. And I've really witnessed and observed the love and care that he has for his bass, which I believe was built in the 1800s. Yeah, it's, a, it's an old one. And, and, you know, having someone that you can trust with this one instrument that is your source of income, frankly... <sighs> Is huge. It's yeah. it is literally like a child. Not just income, but your your whole your livelihood. Self. Right, and right, delicate right. too. Like an right. upright bass is delicate. That's right. So it's so important to to know that there's somebody out there that will. And it's not just basses that you transport. No, you transport it's a any instrument, high-end right? guitars, amplifiers. I don't do like B three organs because you you need a big van for that. One of the advantages I have is I'm able to get the equipment in a regular car. In this case, a Subaru. Before that, a PT Cruiser. And I could go on any roads. Yeah. But uh, yeah. I got a great story. Uh, you know, a lot of jazz fans, uh, listeners, are fans of uh, Bill Evans, the late piano player. I'll say. And I worked for, worked for a shop called Colstein's Music in Long Island. And I had been shuttling bases between their shop and another shop. And uh, Barry called me one day and said, Jack, I got a special job for you. I need you to take Scott LaFaro's bass, Bill Evans' bass player, who died very young in a car crash. Uh, I need you to take his bass to a session. I was like, wow. A session means a recording session. A recording session, yes. So I went and picked up the bass, and this bass is uh, probably insured and worth like a million dollars for its history. This was the bass that was used on the famous Live in the Vanguard uh, recordings. And Scott died like, what, 10 days after that was recorded? And the bass And he was, was only 25, yeah, right? Yeah, and he was like the Jaco Pastorius of his day on Upright. And the bass was in the car crash with him and sat on the rafters in the, in the 80s. It got restored, but was never used uh, at a recording session till to this point in time. So I, uh, I was trusted to take the bass to a session. It was an Ileani Elias session with uh, Mark Johnson playing it, and that was a, a great honor. Yeah. And uh, I did something, uh, I still don't know why I did it, but on the way I had some downtime, which is kind of rare when you're driving in Manhattan. And I <laughs> pulled up to the Vanguard with the bass. And I uh, opened, opened up my car and let the car breathe, so to speak. And when mm-hmm. I told Barry I did this, he goes, he goes, Jack, that bass hasn't been back to the Vanguard since those recordings. I was like, wow. wow. He goes, that was really nice you did that. <laughs> wow, that's so cool. Yeah. That's a yeah. beautiful story. And that that really <clears throat> reminds me. It just it, it that's the kind of that's the kind of emotion and and importance and memories that come from from music. You know, mm-hmm. whether you're transporting a bass, whether you're remembering an amazing artist like Jack LaFaro, 
whether you are, you know, watching a performance like we all did at the Northampton Jazz Festival mm-hmm. at the Academy of Music. I mean, that that concert was was j- completely unique, one of a kind. You you had you had performers on that stage that hadn't come together before, and each one of them, including a guest in Sarah Hanahan, each one of them was bringing just their the the, the top of their artistry, including George Coleman, who was eighty eight and yeah. was just having the time of his life, and and it's those it's all of these stories and all of these experiences that, as audience members, we we have with music that is is just and it's our it's very it's very emotional and it will be with us forever yeah and And it's america's uh classical music so to speak it's our our art form jazz yeah well thank you so much jack frisch now if you if you want to learn more about jack and his services you can go to uprightgraphics.com. That's his graphics design website um, where you can see everything from merchandising to print materials to websites and CD covers. If you have something to transport that's musically oriented, uprighttransport.com. Thank you, Jack oh, Frisch. Thank you. Thanks all for right. having me today. Jack Frisch, it's just an honor to, to know you. Thank you for making all the great music that we oh, hear happen. You. People thank like you. you are invaluable. And thank you for joining us, listeners. Remember today, don't just talk the talk, walk the walk. Find local news and local talk for the Valley. It is critical that the investigation is not limited to federal violations of gender discrimination, but includes the alleged allegations of corruption, nepotism, abuse of power, and use of position to aid Ms. Cunningham's personal business. These allegations actually require an investigation by a different body than a Title IX investigator. Where the heart of the Pioneer Valley lives. 1015 and 1400 WHMP. News, information, and the arts. Are you an immigrant worried about your future? Do you want to change your life? At Center for New Americans, you can take English classes for free. They help immigrants with jobs, licenses, healthcare, as well as immigration and citizenship. CNA helps you create a better future. Visit our website at cnam.org. Call 413-587-0084.